Last night, a DJ took my life. The confession of a DJ, producer, serial killer. Episode 6. I had times where all I thought about was that I was evil. These are thoughts that had been coming and going since I was very young. I knew the feelings weren't normal. I'd never loved someone. The closest thing I felt to love was just hating someone for not wanting to be with me. This is what I felt about a DJ who I used to tour with. She was stunning and played techno like a machine, but she wasn't interested whenever I suggested we go out. I wasn't used to getting turned down. Being a DJ to most girls I met was the coolest thing they could imagine. I certainly didn't love my wife, Vera. I did like the fact that she wasn't part of the DJ world. She worked in a florist designing flowers for events. She was up early and home by mid-afternoon. I didn't usually get out of bed till 12 most days, so by the time she got home, I was working in my studio. I was away from Friday morning to Sunday night. I slept with her every night, but sometimes my studio sessions went on till early in the morning. Our schedules didn't overlap. Sometimes she came away to gigs with me, but not very often. Just having a small amount of time to spend with each other was fine with me. She had an outlook at life that suited me. She just concentrated on what was in front of her and made the best of that. She said to me that she had no long-term plans. Getting married was just an excuse to have a party as far as she was concerned. So when I asked her, she went with the flow. When I was forced to engage in family matters with her side, I just tried to be a normal person. I did what I did when I had to meet people all other times. Behaving that way regularly with her was what made me very nervous, hoping that I could keep character. Her dad had a close eye on me. When she said she was pregnant at the airport, I was shocked. Not shocked like most unexpected fathers, but shocked because I felt like the last two years Vera had been lying to me about who she was. She was supposed to be taking one day at a time, not worrying about long-term planning. Now she's pregnant, not even questioning if it's too soon. She's been planning this. Now what do I do? I wanted to kill her at first. But then as time went on, I saw her for who she really was. A conniving, sneaky bitch who stitched me up. And I started to like her a little bit more. The child is what's wrong with the new situation. Was there a way for me to prevent the birth? Thinking about killing my unborn baby was a new low for me. Part of that evilness I knew that was in me. I'm not going to be taken advantage of like this by my loving wife. I'm going to come out on top somehow. Paris, 2010. When I came around it was daylight and a couple of tourists were standing over me. One on the phone calling me an ambulance. I sit up and feel my face. Down by my resting hand were two of my teeth. The fact I can see them means both my eyes are still safely in their sockets. With the help of the 50-year-old American, I get to my feet. He wanted me to wait for an ambulance that his wife was trying to call. They just dialed 911, hoping it would work, he said. Don't worry about it. I'm good, I say. I leave his grip and look for my record bag. Seeing it had gone pissed me off, and then quickly noticing my pockets had been empty, I decided to just walk back to the hotel. I really didn't want to have to make a police report, even though I was the one receiving it this time. I just didn't want anything to do with the police. So I stagger off back to the hotel. I've got no phone, no wallet and no passport. 
I get to the reception and they have to call the promoter from last night to confirm it's me to let me in the room. I speak to them and tell them what happened. I didn't want to be fussed over, but having the club involved is what I needed. They helped me get sorted and arranged for me to pick up a new passport on Monday. Luckily, I left my laptop in my room so I could at least let my agent know and let the club in Sweden know that I wasn't going to turn up. My agent wanted a photo of me to see the damage, so I took a photo and sent it on. The idiot sent it on to the club in Sweden, and in some bizarre show of support, they decided to tweet the picture of me with a black eye and teeth missing, with some message saying that I couldn't make the show. My agent flipped because he was only sending it as proof of my story. He didn't want them thinking that I'd just gotten wasted and missed my flight. I didn't care until I got back home and it was big news on all the techno websites and blogs. I cancelled the next weekend's gigs. I just needed to shut off from the world. I completely blame my outburst in the French bar on the fact that I was railed up by my mum's texts. So to nip this in the bud, I told her I was driving to Skegness that week. I was home on the Tuesday and arranged the dentist appointment on the Friday. She asked me to stay at hers. I told her that I'd stay the night in a hotel. When I left the car rental, I hadn't planned on what I was going to do or say. I thought about killing her somehow, how I could get away with it. But whatever way I looked at it, she goes missing or turns up dead, they'll question people closest to her, and it won't take long for them to realise that I was in town when she kicked it. So I went there as cheered her as I could manage. She wanted me there, so I'd let her do the talking. Skegness doesn't look far, but it is. All the way at A roads, making it four hours. It was grey and flat all the way. I had to do my best not to pass out of the wheel. I arrived at 3pm. My hotel was on the front. Driving down between the beach amusements and the hotel, I could see that there were a lot of people who had been blown there from more central towns. They were wind-beaten and needed some attention and a clean, just like all the buildings. My hotel was the most expensive I could find, but still only 70 quid for the night. I park in the allocated space and ring the bell. The little old lady with a blue rinse lets me in and hands me a key with a clunky wooden key ring, number 11 on it. I get to the room and chuck my bag on the bed. I text my mum from a new phone. I decide to wait in the room till she texts back. Three hours pass. The first hour I thought she might be busy. The second I started getting angry. I think to myself that in the third hour if she doesn't reply I'm just leaving. Instead. I decided to go out, grab a beer in the shit hole without her. I walked down to the nearest pub and ordered a pint of Carling. When in Rome. There's some Champions League football being played on the TV. I don't care who's playing, but I position myself to watch it. Even though I can feel myself stick out like a sore thumb. I was the only person with a decent haircut and my trainers cost more than the combined wardrobe of everyone else in here. I'm loving being somewhere new. No one knows me here at all. During the game, no one attempts to talk to me, and the barman is concentrating only on his phone. It's one of the most unwelcoming places I've ever been. I loved it. I ate in the pub I was in. The menu was made exclusively of the colour beige. No matter what I was going to have, it needed ketchup, so I just settled on scampi and chips. I had four pints of full of fried shit. All the anger that I'd been feeling and then waiting for my mum had gone. I go back up to the room and queue up and fill my laptop. While cleaning my teeth, I finally got a reply. I'm here in Skegness. Where are you? I'm here too. I need help urgently. I was thrown by the reply for two reasons. For some strange reason, she typed out my whole text with no punctuation in her response. And now she needs my help. What the fuck was going on? If 
before I reply, she sends an address. I look on Google Maps and it's a 20 minute walk through the town. I resisted the urge to drink and drive. On the walk to this house she's at, I have a look at what Skegness is like after dark. It's the off season, so all the bells and whistles, I presume, have come down. This is a really fucking shady place. The few people still around in town look like meth heads from Breaking Bad. I've seen a lot of drug-addled people over the years, but these were a specific type. They were thin and jittery. They're not homeless, I can tell that. They look like they survive on the occasional meal of fried food and whatever chemical they can get their hands on. No one in town at this time of night looks under 40, even though they definitely are a few under 25. They just look so haggard it adds 20 years. As I walk briskly, I can feel the bruises from my last beating, and I'm not up for another one right now. Google Maps takes me all the way through the town centre and into a council estate. Firstly, I get approached by what looks like wild dogs. There aren't any owners around, just these mangled mutts left to roam. I ignore them and keep going. My heart rate is rising with every step. I have no idea what I'm getting into. I don't trust my mum, that's for sure. I flash back to her ignoring shouts from me being molested in the next room while she was sticking needles into her arm. I'm hyped up and imagining killing her again. When I get to the door of the address, I see it's not a house. It's the bottom floor of one of the council buildings. It's the front of a doctor's surgery. I call her. I'm at the address you sent me, I say. Okay, I'm coming out, she says. Two minutes later, she comes out the side of the building. Where's your car? She says, looking before saying hello. At my hotel, I walked here. I say, thinking, what the fuck am I even explaining this for? Okay, let's go. She grabs my arm and holds onto it tightly. Her thin arms clutch onto mine and she leans her black hair against me. Her walking is rushed. You okay, darling? So nice to see you. I look down and see she's got bleeding scratches on the back of her right arm. What's going on? You're bleeding. Before she replies, screaming comes out the building where she just came from. Run! My mum shouts. We bolt in the direction I came from. Where are you staying? The beachfront plaza, I say, running towards the town centre, with two dogs either side joining me in the fun. My mum picked up speed and headed in the direction of the hotel. I turn and look. No one was behind us dogs had stopped and just started barking at us. I jog and get to the hotel. My mum's standing outside. Let us in, come on, she says panting. Up in the room she just hits the bed and lays down. I catch my breath for a second. The pain from my broken ribs starts to kick in as the adrenaline subsides. What the fuck was that? I ask in between painful breaths. Just a disagreement. It's okay, she said, not getting up. Can I stay here? I knew then that this woman was severely brain damaged from either drugs or some kind of trauma in life. I said she could stay there and I'll drive her home in the morning. She talked for a while before sleeping. Nothing interesting. I didn't interrupt in the hope that she'd speak about my dad or what happened when she went to prison or why she'd never really looked me up. She just talked about what it was like living in a chalet and the people she lived with, her old job working in an arcade. She spoke in circles that repeated themselves and eventually slept. I stayed on the chair in the corner of the room and watched her sleep for a while. Eventually I fell asleep with my jacket around me. I woke up with her shaking me. Briefly, I thought it was a woman who I'd killed on the canal boat smiling at me. I wiped my eyes and focused on her. 
We can go now, she said. It's 5.50 in the morning, but I don't care. It's just about light, so without cleaning up or even cleaning my teeth, we leave. I drive over to the other side of Skegness, where there's what looks like an American-style trailer park, but on an English field. I drive round to get to the middle of the park and the section of really battered trailers. I get out and help her in. She's frail now. The woman running at speed last night isn't her. Her chat is slow and her muscles are weak. I figured that she must have been high on something last night when I met her. She's coming down now. Inside the trailer, there's a man asleep in a position that he must have passed out in. His drugs are all over the table. My mum asked me to leave. She's looking at the table. I know what she wants. Same old, same old. I don't need this shit. I just feel sorry for her and angry she's never gotten hold of life. Pull away from the trailer and drive about 20 yards into the deserted park. Suddenly, out of nowhere, this bloke in his 40s walks across the car and sticks his finger up me just as I'm about to clip him. I open my door and he walks over to shout at me. I walk to the boot, pull out a tyre wrench and take a lump out the side of his head, then batter his face until he goes limp. When he stops breathing, I make sure no one's around. He weighs about seven stone, there's absolutely nothing of him and I lift him into the car boot. I throw his limp, wiry body in. As I stuff his arms in, I see he's wearing an old Aphex Twin t-shirt. Seeing that was actually the first time I ever felt bad after killing someone. I carry on driving. I vow to myself to never go back there. What a fucking mess. Last night, a DJ took my life. The confession of a DJ, producer, serial killer. Find us on Instagram at last night a DJ took my life. Twitter, last a DJ. Facebook, last night a DJ took my life. And help fund this podcast by donating on patreon.com forward slash Last night a DJ took my life. Title music by Synchro.